Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. And yes, it is the wee hours of Monday morning. I uh, made the trip back from Nashville and then needed some time to kind of get settled and kind of get my notes together and get my thoughts together. It's probably better that I waited to do that because I was a little bit emotional after the game today in, in a couple respects. Number one, I was very disappointed we didn't take the series against Vanderbilt. I was also disappointed in some of the reaction from some of our fans. And, and listen, I get we're all emotionally invested, but, uh, you know, we're not probably as good as we want to be, and we're not as bad as some people say we are. I mean, we are among the nation's elite in college baseball. And my hope is today that perhaps we can find some middle ground there, and uh, hopefully I can be the voice of reason uh, about some of this because uh, it is very very easy to get caught up in the flow and emotion of disappointment when we don't do what we want to do we went to Nashville and did what we had to do but we didn't do what we wanted to do and that's kind of where the crux of this whole show is today it's like you know when we looked at this thing two weeks ago everybody said you know man we, we went and swept Auburn We've got Ole Miss coming in, and then we've got to go to Vanderbilt. And I think most people, even the truest of the true Maroons, said, man, if we can go three and three in that stretch with what we have coming up in the month of May, that puts us in a good position. We just got to avoid losing both series, and we can't afford to get swept by anybody. Well, we've done that. But we're still kind of lamenting what could have been, right? I mean, that's, the, that's at the end of the day – if we want to take the next step as a program, we got to find a way to win those road series, and we got to be able to, to beat Vanderbilt. Now, we're going to break down the series, and we're going to kind of go through it, you know, kind of game by game. When we played Arkansas, that was our first major SEC test, and we were not ready, and it showed. We go on the road for our next major test, and I guess maybe that's not fair. I, I think maybe Ole Miss coming to town was a really big test for us. Now, they've, they've had a rough month. They've lost four series in a row, so perhaps you know the, the bloom is off the rose in Oxford. But that was an emotional, big weekend with full crowds at Duty Noble Field, and so the atmosphere and the ramifications of a potential loss were huge. So we, we passed that test, and then we go on the road for a much bigger test, and we didn't, we didn't quite get there. We got a win. We showed that we can play with those guys on Sunday, and we, and we blew it. I mean, let's just be honest. We let them off the hook on Sunday. We should have won on Sunday, and there is plenty of blame to go around. Many people are kind of you know, pointing to one decision, and we leave one pitcher in, pitch too long, that sort of stuff. There were plenty of opportunities for us to blow that game open, and we didn't. So we'll break all that down. I do think when we look at this thing in hindsight, we'll say, you know what? Winning that game at Vanderbilt might have been the one thing we absolutely had to do. And when we get a top eight national seed, and listen, let me go ahead and tell you now, we're going to be a top eight national seed. Go ahead and prepare for it. Go ahead and expect it. Your team is going to stack some wins up in May. We've gotten through the most difficult part of our schedule. We have one road test at South Carolina. It's going to be difficult. I still think we should win that series. You got Texas A&M coming in this weekend. We're going to win that series. Hopefully, we'll sweep. I'm confident we'll win. Then you got Missouri coming in. 
we'll win that series. Then we go to Alabama. We're going to win that series. So right here today, there are four series left, and you would expect Mississippi State to win all four with the road trip of South Carolina being the most difficult. Now, we begin to look at this, you know, in, with the gift of hindsight, and it's easy to say, well, you know, this should have happened, that should have happened. At the end of the day, we're still going to be ranked in the top ten, and we earned a lot of respect over the weekend because many people see Vanderbilt, you know, as a team that's uh, on the road to a national championship. After watching us play against them this weekend, I think the gap between us and them is a lot closer than I realized. In 2019, those guys had our number. We just simply couldn't get over the hump. They were just simply better than us. On their home field, they're a little bit better than us. You get those guys on a neutral field, you get them in Hoover, you get them in Omaha, they got a really good chance to take that ball game. And I think we showed that. And I think our kids learned a lot about themselves over the weekend. And I think we're going to be better for the experience. So, again, you have that first huge test, and you fail it miserably against Arkansas. You have the big test against Ole Miss. You pass that one. Then you have the next huge test, and you probably get maybe a C for that one. Could have been much better. Could have been much worse. But we did what we had to do. We did what we needed to do. We didn't do what we wanted to do. My hope is is that we're continuing to progress. I believe we're a much better baseball team today than we were when we played Arkansas, and I think all of you would agree. We're a better team. We're still progressing. We're still getting better. And as I asked Chris Lamontis in postgame on Sunday, you know, you grow up on the road. Do we feel like we've grown up some? Well, yes, we have. And here's the deal, and I think everybody forgets this. You know, there's different pressures. There's a pressure at home to perform in front of 12,000, 13,000 Bulldog fans that want to see you win. But also, too, you get the gift of having those guys pull for you in those big moments and pull against your opponents. You don't get that on the road. And so this was the first real huge road series for many of our players. They will be better for the experience. There is an intensity that comes from playing on the road. It's one thing to go play Auburn on the road. It's another thing to go play LSU on the road, even though LSU is down from what they have been. LSU is going to ruin somebody's season before the year is over. Go ahead and get ready for that. LSU is starting to get hot. They're starting to figure some things out. Marceau didn't get, uh, didn't get a win, but uh, was still a guy that pitched uh, reasonably well over the weekend. But we went down there and won at Alex Box Stadium, which is a place that's been very difficult for us to win. It's tough to go on the road and win at Vanderbilt. I mean, everybody says, hey, they're the best, they're the best program in college baseball right now. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but you could certainly argue for that. I mean, take away the scholarship advantages, you know, entirely. The bottom line is, no matter how those kids got there, they're good players, and in order to win the Southeastern Conference and or Omaha, you're going to have to go through them. And so when we begin to kind of take an, an inventory of where we stand – I'm not so down in the mouth about this team. I think we played pretty well at times. There were other times, especially on Sunday, we simply couldn't make the plays. Made some errors defensively, made some errors offensively, made some errors on the mound. As I said earlier, plenty of blame to go around. So we'll break that down, but I think it's important for everybody to fully appreciate today. Your Mississippi State baseball team is a great team. They're not a pretty good team. They're not a good team. They're not a really good team. They're a great team. And we're still figuring things out. And that's what good coaches do is over the course of a season, 
they begin to shore up your deficiencies and accentuate accentuate your positives. We're in the process of doing that. I thought Jackson Fristo was excellent today the first time through and uh, began to kind of elevate some pitches. And I, I didn't think necessarily that he was tiring, but again, we'll break that down a little bit later. But this young man continues to get better for us. He continues to pitch well on the bigger stages. I thought Ole Miss was probably his worst starter of the year. Uh, and that's, you know, the Auburn situation wasn't the, the greatest, but that's, you know, when you have to sit for 35, 40 minutes as your, your offense scores a bunch of runs, you're going to get a little stiff. It's tough to stay hot. But I think Jackson Fristo has a huge future ahead of him here at Mississippi State, and he's going to remember going on the road and pitching at Vanderbilt, and that will serve him well later in his career at Mississippi State. Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of this show, and I tell you, I, I've been in there, I think, three weeks in a row. Three weeks in a row, and I tell you, every time I go, it's it's great. I travel a lot, as you guys know. I don't always eat a lot of hamburgers, but I eat at a lot of restaurants. And I'll tell you, the service, the quality of the, feel, of the food, the meal, the service, the experience is tremendous. And the more that I travel, the more I appreciate the folks at Bulldog Burger Company. And it's not just because of the fact that we've got a relationship. A lot of times I go in there, there's somebody brand new, some new student that's came in for this semester that doesn't know Steve Robertson from Adam. And they produce a good experience. Two great locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Stark, Vegas, and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Go in and have the spring rolls to kind of open up your experience there. You'll be glad you did. Save a little room for that to-go chocolate shake. You'll be glad you did. New location coming to Ridgeland sooner rather than later. You guys are eager to see that. Signage is already up. The secret's out. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's go ahead and break down this series. Got a cool top ten list for you today, too. Thank you guys so much for all your feedback on the, the last week. Okay, so we get into Friday night, and I really thought, again, we get off to the great start, but we weren't able to capitalize on it. That's the thing that's kind of frustrating. It's like, and that's when you, you go up against a guy like Kumar Rocker, and I'll share with you guys this. It's one thing to watch him on television. It's another thing to see him in person. It's very, very impressive. I mean, it really, really is. You know, he's such a wide-body guy. It's easy for him to hide the baseball. And with that great velo he's got, it's already getting up on you so quick. But the fact that he can hide it so well makes your pitch recognition that much more difficult to do. Really impressed with him. I thought we, I thought we got to him a little bit early. Kind of got him on his heels a bit, but then we let him settle in. But let's, let's go ahead and break down the game here. Uh, Rowdy Jordan has a great at-bat to begin the ball game and then rips a double into right center, ground rule double. Tanner Allen comes out with a sack fly. We move him to third, and then Cam James grounds out to the shortstop and drives the run in. Now, Cam, of course, doesn't get a hit, but he does get an RBI. We put the ball in play. So we manufactured that first run, and we kind of knew it was going to be a low-scoring game, so offense would be at a premium. So the fact that we could get a first-inning run was huge. Christian McLeod, absolutely spectacular the first time through the order. Gets a one, two, three inning there in the first. We come back in the second. And again, we have opportunities and we don't really come through here. Uh, we get we, It's a one, two, three inning for us. We just simply just didn't do enough. But we were putting the ball in play. That's the thing that was encouraging to me. It's like, you know, as uh, incredible as Kumar Rocker is, he wasn't punching us out much. And that's his game. 
But we were putting the ball in play, and I thought, you know what, even, even some of these outs are loud. Maybe we'll get back around to him. Christian McLeod, one, two, three. Any, let me take that back. He gives up a single to center on the first pitch, but strikes out the side in the inning. Absolutely dealing. We get into the third. We get a two-out hit from Rowdy on a 2-0 pitch. Rowdy was locked in against Rocker, put up a couple of hits early in the ballgame. Turns out that was all we could muster until late. But, uh, again, we get we get a runner on, don't do anything with it. Vanderbilt gets a walk, but Christian pitches around it. And, again, two more Ks. An incredible thing to think about. Of the first nine hitters that McLeod faced from Vanderbilt, he struck out seven. Rocker struck out two. So there's a part of me I'm thinking, you know what, maybe we pull this thing off. I mean, I, I knew at some point they were going to score, but I start thinking, you know what, if we can just string this thing along, maybe we get a big hit somewhere, maybe we manufacture another run, maybe we yank one out of the ballpark, and you know, the next thing, oh, it's a 2 3 nothing lead, and the way McLeod is dealing, maybe we can steal this thing. Because that was we talked about that on Friday. I felt like Sunday was our best chance to win a game, and then if we could steal one Friday or Saturday, we got the potential to win the series. Well, we ultimately, we did win, steal a game, but we uh, couldn't come through on Sunday. But uh, we get to the top of four, and it's a one, two, three inning for us. And at this point, Rockers just kind of settled in dealing. Bottom of four, the wheels come off for Christian McLeod. Now, some would say, okay, listen, Steve, they started squeezing him a little bit. I don't really believe that's the case. Here's what I think began to happen, having a chance to watch the game in person. I do think that the strike zone was a little bit tighter than it should have been, and when Christian's not getting that low strike, it is a difficult outing for him. But I thought what Vanderbilt did, Vanderbilt made the adjustment really more so than the umpire did. I thought Vandy decided, you know what, we're going to make sure he throws that breaking ball for a strike. And for some reason, the second time through the order, he really struggled to do that. He wasn't able to land the breaking ball for a strike, and he wasn't throwing it with the same level of conviction. I saw some people say maybe he lost his release point. I don't know if that's the case, but I do know the breaking ball was no longer called regularly as a strike. So Vanderbilt kind of waited him out, and then they weren't, we weren't able to keep them off the fastball. And, of course, we open up there in the fourth – with back-to-back walks, we get behind Keegan 3-0, walk him, get ahead of Walker 1-0, and then four straight balls. And now, again, you're thinking, guys, let's just not walk people, make them hit their way on. And this is not a potent Vandy offense. That's the thing, too, that I think that really frustrated me with a lot of this is that there are not a lot of guys in that lineup that can really hurt you. they got a couple guys out there that can hit some deep balls, as we saw on Sunday. But if you go out there and throw strikes and pound his on and make them put the ball in play and kind of stress pitch efficiency, you can get these guys out. So two men on, and next thing you know, there's a single, and uh, it drives in a run. It's a tie ball game, and there's still nobody out. Then there is the ground ball that moves everybody around. Now there's a runner, two men in scoring position with just the one out. And then Thomas singles back up the middle, drives in two. It's a 3-1 ball game. Then it's a walk. Fielder's choice, and then Bradfield singles and uh, drives in a run. It's 4-1. And to be honest with you, the way that Rocker was doing at this point, it felt like the game was over. Now, I was hoping there's plenty of ball game left, and he said, okay, maybe we can run this thing out of there and get in their bullpen. But we simply couldn't string anything together. We come back in the fifth. We had a 1-2-3 inning. Don't do anything offensive. We have 2K swinging. Bottom of five, they come out there. And, listen, we – do a pretty good job kind of managing this, I think. You, know, you get a ground out, a ground out. We get a single, a double, and then 
despite the fact that they have runners on second and third, less than two outs, we get a ground out to get out of the inning. Worked out okay for us, I guess, in many respects. I thought Stone Simmons was really good in relief. Probably stayed with him a little bit too long, but let's be honest, the game was over. That extra inning might have saved us an arm. We get to the top of six. Again, we're within striking distance. We're one big inning away from tying this thing up. Ground out, strike out. We get an HBP, and then we strike out looking. And again, we're running out of outs here. Bottom of six, Stone Simmons, great. Gets a one, two, three inning. We get into the seventh, and then for us, it's a one, two, three inning. Outside of a hit by pitch and a two out single, we just hadn't had much going on. Bottom of seven, Stone Simmons again gets a one, two, three inning. So Stone's doing his job kind of holding the game where it is, just needing the offense to kind of catch up, and we really never did. Uh, we put in Kyle McDonald to pinch hit for Skinner, and he flies out. Forsyth grounds out. We let Kellum Clark hit for Hatcher. He works the count full and then strikes out swinging. Bottom of eight, Vanderbilt gets a little insurance, and this is where Stone kind of ran out of gas. And, and Fox, I mean, Lamonis told us that Foxhall told him probably should change it up here in the eight, but uh, Lamonis admitted he got a little bit greedy. But the bottom line is the game is over here. You don't want to go out there and burn an arm. Maybe you throw a guy that's not regularly scheduled to pitch on weekends just to kind of get through it. But, you know, we give up a walk and then a single, and there's two men on. We bring in Chase Patrick. And Chase has been kind of a fireman for us, too. Chase has done a good job kind of coming in, uh, kind of ending innings. And he comes in, and, and um, you know, we get the sack bunt that moves a couple of guys over. And then next thing you know, Davis punches that ball back up the middle against a drawn-in infield, and then we finally get a, uh, a caught steal in there to get out of it. Or, excuse me, and then Gonzalez grounds out. But it seemed like that inning lasted forever. They, they played it too, and everybody knew the game was over. Top of nine, we don't quit, though. That's, that's where I give our guys a little bit credit. We get a couple fly outs. Cam gets on on a throwing error and goes to second, and then Hancock – uh, singles one back up the box. We drive in and run. It's a 6-2 ball game. But if, for all intents and purposes, the game was over. It was just a matter of what the margin was going to be. So I'm not going to beat the dogs up too bad for this ball game. But we had several opportunities to get in there and do something. But Rocker was just too good. You know, sometimes you run into a guy that's just dealing. And it's like that just about every SEC weekend. You get one guy that kind of locks you down. And you've kind of got to wait him out. We weren't able to get Rocker out of the ball game. And uh, he goes to complete game. We just get the three hits and the two runs. And, you know, remember a couple of those uh, hits came early in the ballgame. Rowdy Jordan had the uh, the double early on and then comes back through with a single later. Rowdy gets two hits, and then Luke Hancock gets one. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, Rocker dominated the Bulldog order. Not unexpected. Not unexpected. Disappointing, but not unexpected. So we get to game two, and – for some reason, and we spoke to Chris Lamonis on Friday night after the ball game. Chris simply made it seem like, you know what, they had a good plan for Leiter. He felt like that that was just a better matchup for us, and it proved to be. Coming into that ball game, Jack Leiter had never lost a game in his college career, but in his last few outings, he hadn't been able to finish. You know, I think he's a little bit arm weary, and I think that showed. And I thought State had a really good approach, and we were very aggressive early. And I kind of got him on his heels just a little bit. And uh, I, I give Rowdy Jordan a lot of credit. Rowdy had a really good Friday, Saturday. Didn't do much on Sunday. But the second pitch of the ball game is a home run to right field. And it took a lot of air out of that stadium. And there wasn't a lot in there to begin with. I think, well, they have 1,300 fans and like that. I mean, that's, that's a false scrimmage for us. 
but Rowdy gets us going, and then T.A. gets a hit, Cam walks, and then Hancock singles, and it's 2 nothing. More of an opportunity to do something here. Logan Tanner, infield fly there for the second out, and then uh, DeBrule grounds into the fielder's choice there. So 2 nothing lead, left some ducks on the pond there, but I think we felt like, you know what, two runs on four hits. I think that's right. Two runs on four hits. We, we kind of got it going. You know, did some things to kind of get – to kind of make – I guess two runs on three hits, excuse me. So we'd already matched our run and hit total from the night before in the very first inning against Leiter. Still thought Leiter at some time would kind of settle in there. Bednar goes out there, and the very first thing we do is we walk Bradfield. And, and, and Ricky Bradfield is a very, very talented base dealer. But here's the thing that irritates me to no end. This is a guy, if I'm not mistaken, before today – he had 42 hits, and 36 of them were singles. He is a singles hitter. Doesn't have a single home run, only has 17 RBIs before the day. So why are we nibbling with this guy? And it was like that all weekend long. It didn't matter who we tried it out there. I think Cam Tuller is the only guy that really challenged him. The guy cannot hit the ball at the ballpark. So why are we not pounding his own? Why are we getting cute? Why are we dancing around the edges here and then – walking this guy because if you walk him it's basically a double it might as well be a double if you walk him just go ahead and tell him to go out there and stand on second base it doesn't make a lot of sense and that that was one of the things for me that was so incredibly frustrating is you have a guy that cannot hit the ball out of the ballpark he only has a handful of extra base hits most of those in a non-conference so if we go up there and he's leading off an inning Go attack this guy. And you know what? If he gets a single, he gets a single. But that gummit, don't walk him. That just drives me crazy. Maybe that's the old hidden coach in me, but I, I don't understand why you don't attack a guy that cannot hurt you. So it walks, and of course, he's still second. And then we walked young, and so now right out of the gate, Bednar's in some trouble. I did think the zone was a little bit erratic, but uh, Bednar did adjust to it. Uh, Bradfield then still third. So it might as well have been a triple. We get Keegan to strike out swinging, and Butler flies out, so sack fly allows a run to score. So there you go. There's the walk coming around the score without the benefit of a hit. And then Rodriguez strikes out swinging. So despite the fact Vanderbilt did not get a hit in the first inning, they have cut the lead from 2-1. to one. It is inexcusable to walk that guy, the leadoff hitter, uh, because you're, being, you're out there nibbling and trying to work corners. Just go get him. I, I don't care what everybody else says. The numbers simply suggest this guy cannot hurt you as a hitter. He's not going to hit the ball at the ballpark. Make him hit his way on. It's inexcusable. I mean, it really is. All right, so we get to the bottom of second here. And again, got some guys up. We can do some things with. Top of second, excuse me. We don't. Braylon Skinner works the count and has a really good at bat, but then strikes out looking. Those are the kind of things I scratch my head about, too. Forsyth strikes out looking on three pitches. Hatcher then singles to center field, and I thought Josh swung it pretty well at times this weekend. Uh, had a pretty good game on Saturday. Rowdy Jordan then walks, so now you've got a two-out rally going. And If nothing else, you are running the pitch count up. You may not be able to cash in a run, which is what we want, but if you can't do that, at least get out of the quick inning. At least give, make the guy throw some pitches. And uh, because of the Josh's single there, uh, he ends up throwing, having to throw seven more pitches. And in some, some ball games, that's a full inning. 
Bottom of second, Will has settled down now. Even though that he did work the first count full, it's a one, two, three inning, and he does strike out the side. Top of three, we get a fly out, a strikeout look, at, and then again, we get a little two-out rally going here. Logan Tanner singles to left. DeBrule is hit by the pitch, and then Skinner flies out on a second pitch. But again, you're making him throw six, seven, eight more pitches. Love to get the run, but if we can't get it, at least want to kind of run that pitch count up and give us a chance to get him out of the ball game. Top of four, excuse me, bottom of third, give up the leadoff single to Gonzalez, and it's a ground out, a strikeout, and a line out. Top of four, Mississippi State goes one, two, three. And at this point, I began to think, you know what, this is going to play out just like Friday night did. We're going to get the good start. We're not going to build on it. We're going to let a pitcher settle in. Bottom of four, Bednar still dealing, one, two, three inning, strikeout, fly out, strikeout. Top of five, State finally gets the big hit, finally gets the big hit, and it ultimately was the last inning for uh, for Leiter. You get the walk, you get a strikeout swinging on three pitches, and then Hancock case, so there's two outs and a man on, and then Logan Tanner hits a bomb over the Green Monster in left field. And again, very patient hitting here. You take the first pitch, you, the guy hangs your slider, and you make him pay for it. You get the bat flip, you got the wave to the people in right field, you got the blow to the kiss to the football players that are acting obnoxiously over to Vandy Dugout. It's a 4-1 ball game, and at that point, I began to think, you know what, this is about to happen. The way Bednar is dealing, and we still got Landon Sims in the pen, and Leiter is in trouble. Leiter has been rocked by Logan Tanner. And I, and you talk about the mood in that building changing. It was absolutely ridiculous. A lot of maroon and white cheers going on out there. One of the best things that ever happens when you go out there and you put a couple of runs on the board is your pitcher goes out and, and hangs a goose egg and Will wasted no time. Gets Thomas to pop up. Davis singles to the left side and then we get the double play. We get a double play and get out of it. And so now we're in the top of six. Lighter is out. They bring in Owen. And uh, it really, uh, to be honest with you, even in the very first couple of ABs, I got turned to Robbie Falk and I said, hey, we're going to get to this guy. So Skinner works it for a walk and then takes second on a uh, failed pickoff attempt. And I'll be honest with you, I've been around baseball enough to know when there's deliberate interference by a first baseman. When the ball gets loose, all of a sudden he lays on top of the runner and kind of gets up and shoves him down. That happened a couple times with Vanity this weekend. It did, and if you don't think it's coached, you're kidding yourself. It didn't hurt us, but it's part of the deal, okay? Just kind of know that going in. As a guy that's coached that move, I can tell you it's part of the deal. So Forsythe then strikes out swinging, Hatcher strikes out swinging on three pitches, and then Rowdy Jordan flies out. So we get the runner in the scoring position with nobody out and got nothing to show for it. Never moved him again. We didn't bunt him around. We just we weren't able to get it done. Weren't able to get it done. Bottom of six. Would you believe that we walked in Enrique Bradfield again? You get a foul, you get a ball, you get a foul, and in three straight balls we put him on. I do not understand. He can't hit it out of the ballpark off a tee. I don't know that he can hit it out in batting practice. Just go get him. So here we are, again, aiding in our own potential demise. We walk the most prolific base runner in the SEC today. 
And what does he do? Immediately, he's still second. And then Young singles down the third base line, and, you know, I'm thinking we're in trouble here, right? Runner goes to third. We bring in Preston Johnson. Preston gets a double play. Excuse me, Bradfield held it second there. I'm sorry. So we get the double play, then Bradfield goes to third, and then we get Bulger looking. So Preston Johnson beginning to kind of grow up in front of our eyes here. Got a chance to meet his parents over the weekend, too. They're down from around Crystal Springs. It's great people. It's good to see them. Preston looks a lot like his dad. But uh, they were out there. And, uh, listen, Preston's a guy that's going to be a dude for us, and, and he's rounding in the form in SEC play. This is a guy – he's got big-time stuff. He's a guy, too, that's kind of learning that, that he can compete at this league. So we get, out of the, we get out of the issue there despite the fact that we gifted Bradfield a double. He doesn't come around to score. Top of seven, State adds some valuable insurance here. This is when I thought, you know, we put the game away, and there's a lot of, you know, second-guessing about our pitching decision. But we needed to break this thing open, which is what Vanderbilt did to us on Friday. You know, they kind of nursed that lead along, and then they finally put the kill shot on us. That's what it looked like we were doing here. We get the uh, we get the ground out from T.A. on one pitch, tap back to the mound, and then Cameron James rips a double to left center. They bring in a left-hander, and we're dealing with this guy. Hancock then works it for a walk, and he's great at that, leads the team in walks, gets down 0-2, works it back, fouls off a pitch or two, and the next thing you know, he's on base, first and second. And then Logan Tanner rips a full count pitch in the left field, drives in a run, and then sends Hancock to third. And then DeBrule, he hits the fielder's choice, drives in another run. It's a 6-1 ball game. And then Skinner singles to the right side. Another run scores, makes it 7-1. And at that point, I think everybody wearing maroon and white was able to relax a little bit. And I thought we relaxed a little bit too uh, as a team. Maybe not necessarily a good thing. Uh, Preston gets ahead in this count. It's a 0-2 deal, and then we get a foul ball, a called ball, a foul ball, a called ball, and then we hit him. So we've hit the leadoff man despite the fact it's a six-run deal. And then no one strikes out swinging, and then we walk Thomas. And, uh, yeah, I would have probably given Preston another hitter or two just to get through the seventh, especially with six runs to work with. But it wasn't my call. And I also understand, too, that you know, Chris Lamontis is thinking, you know what, we have to get a win here. Let's not sit around and let them get a couple of runs and eat this thing up, and all of a sudden they got two winnings left to kind of catch up here. So we make the call to bring in Sims. Uh, and here's the deal, too, guys. I don't think you guys fully appreciate this. He's not going to pitch on back-to-back days. I know any time that we, you know, if we ever get behind a hitter in the first inning, we're ready to bring in Landon Sims. He can't pitch every game. We got to get Preston Johnson. We got to get some of these other guys some innings because there's going to be times we're going to need them to kind of carry the weight to get it to Landon Sims on the back end. So, bottom of seven here, when we bring in uh, Landon Sims and we give up back to back singles, that makes it a seven four ball game. And then, lo and behold, what happens? Enrique Bradfield comes up and we walk him on four pitches. And then we throw a wild pitch, and Bradfield goes to second. So we really did gift him a double there. At least he didn't get a stolen base out of it, right? Then Sims bears down and gets a couple Ks to get out of there. 7-4 ball game. I'm not going to keep belaboring the point on this Bradfield thing, but it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind that no matter who we trot out there, that we just want to attack this guy. We just want to attack him. 
That's bad baseball. I'm not going to I'm, I'm, – listen, I love Chris Lamontis. I love his whole staff. I love the team. I love everything about him. But that's not being competitive. When you have a guy in the box that cannot hit the baseball out of the ballpark, you got to go get that guy. I mean, I mean honestly, it's, it's like it's – I'm not going to belabor the point anymore. I'm not. I'm still a little frustrated about that. When you got a guy that's gonna, that you know is going to steal the base, you can't walk him. Under any circumstances, you can't walk him. You can't. I'd rather I'd rather him rip the ball in dead gum gap than walk the guy over and over and over and over and over again. All right, so we get out of it seven four, and a lot of people thought, well, Lennon Sims is, is human. We're in trouble. They make a pitch and change on their end, and we have a chance again to kind of get some things going. We don't. We strike out looking. We get a fly out, but we do put again another two out rally. Tanner Allen doubles in the left field on an 0-2 count, and then uh, Cam James reaches on a CI. And some Vanderbilt people apparently don't know the rules of baseball. That's a big shock. But this way that the catcher's interference works, if the catcher's glove impedes the bat path, it is a CI. It doesn't matter where the ball ends up. It doesn't matter if it's a foul ball. It doesn't matter if it's a home run. It's a CI. That's, That's the rule. Catcher cannot interfere with the swing path of a hitter. That's the rule. I don't think a lot of people fully appreciate that. And as a former catcher, I can tell you, I've gotten clipped on a couple CIs. Sometimes you want it so bad for your pitcher, you think, okay, I'll just go up here and grab it before the bat gets there, and you're wrong. It just doesn't work that way. And then, and then Luke Hancock flies out on the very first pitch. we got to get Luke going. We really do. All right, so we get to the bottom of eight, and we're thinking, okay, Landon Sims, this is Landon Sims' territory. we got to make sure he's good here. Because, listen, they hit him a little bit in that seventh. And there's going to come a day when Landon's not going to be on his game. And there was a part of me I thought maybe it's Saturday night. Landon comes back and gets a K swinging, a fly out, and then they pinch hit for this Vaz guy comes in and has absolutely no chance, none whatsoever. I can't imagine coming out there on a cool night off the bench and having to face 96, 97 uh, right there at the belt. I mean, it's just – it's almost an impossible task. We get to the top of nine. Um, they bring in Murphy, who was their closer, which I thought was rather interesting. He's got seven saves on the year, and they brought him in in this ball game. They didn't – turns out they didn't need him on Sunday. But maybe they just wanted to get him some work and kind of keep the game where it was. And so we go one, two, three in the inning – we get to the bottom of nine, and then here, here they are. We're thinking Landon Sims is out here to close this thing out, and I thought he was as dominant in that ninth inning as he has been at any point this year. You get Thomas on three pitches. You get Davis on four pitches – or five pitches, excuse me. And then you get Gonzalez to fly out the right field in the ball game. And so we beat the best pitcher in college baseball. And it's so interesting, too. I, I love this, too. And so follow me if, you've, if you heard this from some of your self-loathing Mississippi State fan friends. So on Friday, after we lost to Rocker, the talk among the self-deprecating Mississippi State fan was, now we've got to face the guy tomorrow, it's even better. Well, then we go beat that guy. Now I said, well, I thought Rocker was better. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Whatever you, why do we continue to want to belittle the accomplishments of Mississippi State? I don't understand it. On Friday, Lighter's better than Rocker. And then on Saturday after we beat Lighter, then it's like, well, Rocker's better. No, no. 
Jack Leiter is the best pitcher in college baseball. Kumar Rocker is probably number two. Jack Leiter is a freak. We had a better plan, and we beat him. Let's give our team some credit because most of you, most of you expected to lose that ball game, and we won the ball game. And that also kind of opened up a little bit of a, uh, you know, a double-edged sword situation for State because if we had lost that ball game and found a way to win on Sunday, we'd be like, okay, all right, we did what we had to do. We won a ball game. But we went on Saturday, and now all of a sudden, hey, well, man, we're better than Vanderbilt. And I'll be honest with you, I think we're pretty much even with Vanderbilt. Even, but when we helped them, we pushed them ahead of us. But we beat Leiter, who is the best pitcher in college baseball. And all of a sudden we think, okay, Sunday was our best chance to win the ball game. We really got a chance to go win this thing. And we jump out to that huge league. Let's just go ahead and jump right into Sunday here because that's what we all want to talk about, right? We jumped all over this kid. I mean, we absolutely did. You know, And, again, look at what we've done. Every ball game we come out, we're the aggressor. We took the fight to Vanderbilt. We got a lead. We're not always able to hold it, but we came out and got a lead. The kid didn't make it out of the first inning. I mean, it's ridiculous, really. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. Let's break this thing down. It was similar for a while there to the start against Auburn. And I love the fact that we came out with some juice. That says a lot about coaching. says a lot about our leadership. Rowdy works it again. You know, Rowdy gets a, a double to open Friday, gets a home run to open Saturday, gets a walk to open Sunday. It's a guy to get you getting on base, kind of getting it going for you. And then Rowdy goes to uh, to third, and again, a pickoff throw that goes awry, and then the first baseman, you know, tries to attempt to shove Rowdy down. It didn't help. Rowdy goes all the way around to third. And then T.A. strikes out swinging. And in that situation, you know, just trying to get something to elevate to get that run home, we weren't able to get it done. Cam James walks, and then Luke Hancock doubles to left field, we uh, send Rowdy home and Kem James to third. And so now you got runners at second and third. You got two men in scoring position with less than two outs. And right at this, this point, I'm thinking anything but a K or a pop out, we're going to get another run here. Well, then they walk Logan Tanner on four pitches to load the bases. And Scotty DeBrule, a great job of hitting, takes one the opposite way, drives in two runs, makes it a 3 nothing ball game. And then right behind it, they walk Cumbus. So now we've got the bases loaded. Excuse me. Yeah, we had the bases loaded here with less than two outs. And so I'm thinking, you know what? If we can get a hit here, I'm not, I mean, I'm not even saying if you get a grand slam here. You just get a hit here and you push this thing up to four or five, nothing in the first inning. There might not be any coming back from that. Because if we're pitching and playing pretty good defense with a five-nothing lead against anybody, I think we can hold it. Didn't turn out that way. Again, we don't get the big hit. You know, DeBrule got us a big hit, and then we had a chance to kind of blow this thing open. We don't. Hatcher strikes out swinging, and it was a good at bat. I'm not, listen, I know many of you are really down on Josh Hatcher, and I understand that. But I thought Josh was really competitive in this A-B here. Very first at, uh, at batter for uh, Mac, uh, McIlvain. But you get a strike, a foul ball, so it's an 0-2 count, and then we get a ball, and then Josh fouls one off, fouls one off, fouls one off, and they finally get him swinging. 
And I'm just thinking, you know, Josh, if you get us anything there, just give me a routine fly ball to right field. It's a Fortnite ball game. And then Forsyth flies out. The fly ball we needed comes with two outs. So, again, great start for the Bulldogs. Could have been a, a tremendous start. But we're three nothing leaders after half an inning. Bottom of first, I, again, I, and this is one of the things that, I, again, you've heard me belabor the point about Bradfield, right? Fristo goes right at him, and he pops up Josh to open the ball game. Awful job by their leadoff guy. Awful. Terrible. You don't want your leadoff guy going out there swing at the first pitch in the first inning. I need this guy to work the count a little bit so I can see what this pitcher's working with. But that's not what happens. Mr. Selfish out there swings at the very first pitch and pops up. And then what does Fristo do when he doesn't have a runner on base, when he hadn't basically gifted them a double? Back-to-back case, and it's a one, two, three inning. Shows a little emotion leaving the field. I love it, kid. Keep doing it. Top of second, Mississippi State adds to the lead here. Rowdy grounds out to the shortstop, and then T.A. hits one off the batter's eye in center field. An absolute shell of a ball. And uh, the wind at that point was kind of gusting out a little bit, so the ball got up, and T.A. struck it so well, the wind made sure it got on out of there. Uh, great effort, I guess, from Bradfield there to jump up and get a look of it, look at it as it hit the uh, the batter's eye there. And then Cam, a good at bat here, even though he came swinging. Ball, strike, ball, strike, ball, strike. Hancock then grounds out in the inning, but it's a 4 ball game after two, and you start thinking, you know what, if we just kind of nurse this thing along the way Fristo's pitching right now, maybe maybe we can get this thing in the books. And it just felt like there was too much ball game left. That's how it felt. Even, even though we had the lead, and I felt really good at the time, I kept looking at the clock, and I'm thinking, man, let's, just, let's get through this. Let's get through it. So Fristo comes back out. We get a fly out, a line out. We do walk a guy on a full count, and then we get the ground out to get out of it. So while it wasn't a one, two, three inning, a pretty efficient inning there for Fristo, I think we're all feeling pretty good at that point. State comes out again with more traffic on the bases. Logan Tanner flies out to right, and then Scotty DeBrule grounds out, so it's a two-out deal. And what happens, Cumbus hammers the ball into center field. Hatcher then singles to left field. Forsyth. Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on have our chaps, our vest, and we go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tecovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tecovas is you can wear them somewhere nice, or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom-fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. 
You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Today's podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. What's the best way to help you and your finances thrive? The answer can be overwhelming with all the financial misinformation out there. Fortunately, you can turn to Nerd Wallet's objective finance journalists to set things straight and help you make smart decisions with your own money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bill so I don't dread April every single year. Managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. Putting away more money for retirement since I'm not going to do this podcast forever. Sorry, folks. And also boosting my credit score since good credit is like a real-life cheat code. Saving for an emergency fund because life is like a good movie. It loves a good plot twist. The nerds also explain the real impact that the latest financial headlines could have on your life. Weekly financial check-ins with smart money help you spend more time doing what matters and less time worrying about what doesn't. Let NerdWallet's trusted experts untangle today's web of financial misinformation. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Hawks, we got bases loaded again with Rowdy Jordan up at the plate. And with the weekend Rowdy was having, if he had laced one in the right field there and scored a couple runs, none of us would have been surprised. But again, you get the bases loaded for the second time in three innings, and you leave them loaded. So we want to talk about pitching decisions and we want to talk about defense. You know, here's a couple of golden opportunities for State to break this game open, and we don't do it. We can't get the big hit. And, again, I give the bottom third of the order a lot of credit in both of those rallies for kind of keeping this thing and turning the lineup over and giving the top of the order a chance to do some damage. We didn't do it. And, again, I'm not throwing shade at any player in particular. I'm just kind of pointing out that we had plenty of opportunities on Sunday to separate ourselves from Vandy. We allowed them to kind of stay in the ball game, and eventually they got to us. Bottom of third, Fristo is still dealing. One, two, three inning and gets uh, two Ks in the inning and gets a ground out. And, uh, and again, that's Bradfield. And, again, here's what we do. Fristo, what does he do? First pitch to, Fr- to Bradfield is a strike. First pitch, strike. And then we get down 3-1. At this point, I'm about ready to just throw my computer off the top of the stadium. But we get strike two to run the count full. And rather than walk him, what do we do? We throw a dadgum strike, and he grounds out the first. So instead of gifting him a double by walking him and letting him steal second, because he is a prolific base dealer, he is outstanding, might be the fastest guy in the country. So we don't do it to ourselves. We make him try to hit his way on, and what does he do? He grounds out first. So great job, Jackson Fristo. Top of four, again, you know, we're trying to extend the lead here. We get a single on a beautiful bunt by Tanner Allen, as I kind of tweeted out too. Yeah, get you a guy that can hit a home run, one at bat, and come back the very next one and lay down a beautiful bunt for a single. T.A., I mean, he is a ball player. That's what he is. Cam James then grounds into a double play. Hit the hot ball hard right at third baseman. They turn two, and then Luke grounds out, and that's the end of the inning. Every ball in the inning was hit pretty well. 
You're thinking, okay, well, it's just a matter of time. Just kind of like Novocaine, it works. We just got to get to this guy. So bottom of four, and this is where things kind of change for us, and uh, a lot, this is where some of us disagree. And I'm going to explain to you why I disagree. Because number one, with the gift of hindsight, it's easy to say what should have been done. So remember, Fristo had been absolutely dealing to this point. He leaves the ball up to Cam Young, who triples the center field, hits the ball over Rowdy. I really thought it was going to get out there for a second. And some would say, well, you know, well, Jake may have made that play. Well, Jake's not here anymore, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, I didn't think Rowdy played it exceptionally well, but that ball was absolutely crushed. So they get a leadoff triple. And again, we have a chance to minimize the damage. They ground out to short. And then Young scores. So now the bases are clear. It's a 4-1 ball game. I think we all felt okay. And then Bulger gets on because we have an error. Ground ball to third. We throw it high. And then he's able to take seconds. So now all of a sudden there's a runner in a scoring position with less than two outs. Rodriguez, who was a really tough out today, I really thought he battled well for them. This Vandy offense is not so potent. I mean, there's a couple guys out there. Gonzalez is a guy that's very scary in the, look in, in, the, in the uniform. You make a mistake to that guy, he's going to make you pay. Young is a guy like that too. But I thought Rodriguez really proved to be a tough out, and he was here too. And uh, we had him We had him kind of hemmed up. We get behind 2-0, get in a foul back, a fastball. Oh, he takes a fastball and fouls one back. Uh, and then I thought – I told Robbie Falk then, I said, you know – you threw the slider earlier in this count. I know he's going to be looking for a slider here, so maybe don't throw him one. Well, we do, and then he dumps it in the right field uh, and drove in the run. It's just, uh, you know, it's just part of baseball. You know, sometimes they guess right. I would not have gone back to the well with the slider again there, but, again, that's a gift of hindsight. And then we get no one to strike out swinging, and then Thomas reaches on a fielder's choice. So let's let's kind of review this inning real quickly. Outside of the ball hit to center field, there really weren't any of these balls hit hard. And so there's a revisionist history that goes on with this. People say, oh, we should have pulled him after the fourth. Guys, he wasn't pitching bad in the fourth. He wasn't. He has one ball hit hard in the fourth inning. And we want to pull him? Nah. No, not no, we're not doing that. Not with the lead, certainly. Because I mean, let's go back and look after the triple. Ground the, ground the short, ground the third, and then the little bloop single to left to right field, and a strikeout swinging and a ground ball. So he rolls up three ground balls, gives up a bloop hit, and gets a K. So why would I pull him? You're getting soft contact other than the one guy. And that's what everybody says. Well, the guy hit the triple. Yeah, that's baseball. You know, some, sometimes you leave a pitch up, sometimes they guess right. But Fristo was still doing a good job getting under bad angles. He was still doing a good job getting ground balls and letting his defense make plays. We didn't make plays behind him. So there was no evidence at this point in the fourth inning that Fristo was done, none whatsoever. Pitch count was still good. Velo and the fastball was still good. Uh, he was still able to locate that slider for a strike. So there was no reason whatsoever to pull him uh, probably not even any evidence at this point we needed to have somebody up. Now, other than your own insecurity, there was nothing at this point that suggested, you know what, this guy's tiring. It's not part of the deal. It's not how it works. And at this point, we're thinking, if we can get five out of first though, maybe six, we can win this thing. Top of five stayed again, 
can't do much with it. And I give McIlvain credit. He came out and really kind of held the game in place other than the home run to Tanner Allen. He really, you know, for the most part, shut us down. So Tanner strikes out swinging, much to the delight of the uh, Vanderbilt student section. But it was a good at bat. We get ahead 3 nothing, and uh, end up striking out on a ball away, ball four. DeBrule flies out, and then Cumbus works the count for a walk. Again, to kind of extend the inning, and then Josh Hatcher first pitch swing. And those are the things that really frustrate me about, you know, pitch selection. And this isn't necessarily about Josh. You heard me make the same claim about Bradford earlier. So if a guy just walked, especially when, uh, you know, none of those pitches were really close. I guess he had one called strike in the at-bat to Cumbest. He had a swing and a miss on a change-up low. But he wasn't locating well. He had struck out Logan Tanner earlier in the inning on a full count after he fell behind 3 nothing. And he had just walked Brad Cumbus. So why am I swinging at the first pitch? This guy's already getting deeper into counts. This guy has been shutting us down, and we're a grinded-out offense. You know, why are we jumping early on this? Those are the kind of things I think about. Even in the moment, I was thinking, why are, why are we jumping on the first-pitch fastball here? And I don't know that it was a fastball, but we ground out, we roll over, and we ground out, and the inning's over. Bottom of five, and this is when it all kind of fell apart for us. So – Let's take our time here. Davis has the great at bat to open the inning. He gets ahead 1-0. We get a called we, we get a called strike, and then we get a strike swinging. Now it's a one-two count. We just got to finish this guy, right? Foul ball, foul ball, ball two, foul ball, foul ball, and then we finally strike him out swinging. I believe it was a slider. So Fristo. Still able to finish hitters. Despite the fact that this is an elongated at bat, he's able to get him. We get ahead of Gonzalez, too. We get a foul ball. We get a ball. We get another foul ball. It's a one-two count. So it's one out, and we're a strike away from putting up two, right? We try to get him a chase. We don't. We leave a ball up, and he hammers at the right field for a single. And then what happens here? Okay, remember, we're not falling behind hitters yet. Bradfield comes up, and again, I don't know if this kid has a Jedi mind trick on people because Fristo was, again, the only guy that really attacked him uh, all weekend. And then we walk him on four pitches. And then uh, Young hits the home run, and we're ahead in that count too. We're 0-1 after a, a swing and strike, and he just absolutely hits a tank. What I go back to here, and I've made this point throughout the show about the Bradfield thing, is I understand he's pretty quick on the base path. He's not necessarily great out of the box. He's pretty good once he gets his feet moving, but he's not. he doesn't really tear out of the box that well. So he is a double play candidate. But you got one down and you got a runner on at first. A double play is in order. And you got a guy that is a punch and shooty hitter. Why are you not challenging him? You've heard me say it every single time. I don't understand it. It blows my mind. That guy cannot hurt you. And even if he does hit a home run, it's a tie ball game. If he does hit a home run, it's the first of the year. Go get him. We don't. We walk him. And next thing you know, we pay for it. Walks, errors, death, taxes. That's the kind of stuff you got to avoid. Everybody, that stuff's crazy. 
So it's a 5-4 ball game, and I know many people say, well, that's it, it's over with. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't ready to give up, but it certainly felt that way. It certainly felt like, you know what, we have let them off the hook. And there was no juice in the stadium whatsoever, none. We went out there and poured gas on our own fire. So then we pull Harding. A lot of people say, well, you know, Steve, you know, we should have already pulled him. And again, I go back to this, you know, what evidence was there? that he was struggling. The fact that he walked Bradfield, well, we walked him all weekend. I mean, the only guy that didn't really, you know, nip, nip around him was, uh, was Fristo. And you can say, well, you know, he, he had trouble finishing Davis and he gave up the single and, and then he walked Bradfield. And so, yeah, I mean, so that's the first time it happens. And so why would you have somebody up at this point? Well, we did. We had Houston Harding up. So I just I disagree, and it's easy to look back in hindsight and say, "Oh, we should have pulled him." We asked Chris Lamontis about it in post game, and Chris said, "You know what? The splits on this because the guy's a switch hitter, a switch hitter. He hits lefties better. That guy's a gifted guy, man. He's a really talented hitter, and he got us. I'm not making excuses for anybody, but I wouldn't have pulled him either. I was I was thinking to myself, let's just get out of this deal. Double play still in order, and uh, if we can just keep the ball down, maybe we can roll one and get out of here." That's how anybody would think. 4-2 lead with a pitcher that was, was absolutely cruising. And then all of a sudden you get a little, uh, you know, a little adversity here. And, and, and listen, he's got to power through that. He's a young guy, and he will get better from his experience. Harding comes in, gives up a single. Then we get two Ks and get out of the deal. And listen, again, it's easy to come out there and say, well, you know, look at what he did. You know, he might have hit that home run off Houston Harding. And if he hits a home run off Houston Harding, then the discussion becomes, well, why do we pull Fristo? But you know what? If we get a couple of hits when the bases are loaded, instead of it being a 5-4 ball game, maybe it's a 7-5 ball game. Maybe it's an 8-5 ball game. Maybe it's a 9-5 ball game. Who knows? You know, we, we fill the baseball in the, first, in the fourth inning there and make a play, it's still a 4-1 ball game. You know, again, plenty of room to go around. Blame for everybody. Top of six – we uh, strike out looking on three pitches, which which boggles the mind to me. And then Rowdy Jordan pops up, and then T.A. with another double on a full count. Then they bring in Maldonado, who is a straight slider guy. He's a reliever, one of the best relievers in the Southeastern Conference. We talked about him on Friday. An absolute beast of a guy. I mean, and he's not a guy that's overpowering with the fastball. He throws it just enough, you know, because he gets you thinking slider, and next thing you know, he can kind of gas it by you. But he gets Cam James uh, to end the inning. But it's still it's a 5-4 ball game uh, if we go to the bottom of six. We come out and we walk Noland, got behind him 3-0, worked it full, and then uh, we walk him. And then there's a fielder's choice. We, um, you know, we get the runner at first. Then there's the sag bunt there to move the guy around, but it's like sometimes our bunt defense kind of has me asking a couple questions. I mean, honestly, I don't know why we never get the lead runner, especially when the ball is bunted right back to the pitcher. There were several times I thought we had chances to do it. I know you got to take the sure out, but sometimes the best plays to get the lead runner, especially when tight ball games like this. But um, so then we get Gonzalez swinging on three changeups. I mean, a great job, and you're thinking, okay, we're fixing to get out of this deal. Despite the fact we issued a leadoff walk, we got a chance to get out of this deal. And um, we go at Bradfield, and we, we get behind 1-0, and then we get a couple of Ks. It's a 1-2 deal, and then uh, 
ball and then a foul and he gets us you know and, and again it's a it's a little punch and judy thing and it's kind of you know guides the ball over to the shortstop's head and drives in two runs and made it seven four and at that point we all thought well this is the deal right but nope bradfield's still second again just for good measure that's what's going to happen you put him on base what get him on base that's what he's going to do it's basically extra bases and you're you're kind of aiding in that Seven four ball game, and I'll be honest with you, I thought we quit a little bit, which disappointed me. Uh, Hancock does work for a walk there, and then Logan Tanner grounds into the double play on a very first pitch, hit the ball hard right at the third baseman. Then the Brule flies out the short, but it just we just didn't have a lot of pep in our step the rest of the ball game. Uh, we walk Keegan on a full count. We get Bulger to strike out looking. Rodriguez then grounds out, and then Keegan goes to the third on a wild pitch. And we get no one to strike out. So we get out of that deal in the seventh. We're kind of holding the game where it is. We just need some things to happen. We elected, though, uh, Brad Cumbus out of the ball game, who I thought Brad actually played pretty well on Sunday, probably deserves a little more time. If nothing else, Brad will run into one every once in a while. And we're still trying to figure out how to lay off that right-handed breaking ball and that slider. But um, I think his at-bats have been a lot more competitive than Braywin Skinner as of late. And I'm a Braywin Skinner fan, but he's struggling as of late. He had three, three hits against LSU, kind of got everybody excited. And, you know, the, the same people that were, you know, they expect Landon Sims to throw every inning of every game, thought we should put him at leadoff. We did. It didn't work out. He needs to be down in the order. I'll be honest with you. I'd have him hit lower than six. Um, so Skinner strikes out swinging. It was a non-competitive at bat. Josh Hatcher strikes out swinging. It's a non-competitive at bat. And these are left-handers. And so when you're you're up there against Maldonado, who's basically a straight slider pitcher, well, he can't throw that big looping slider to you. He can throw that tight slider and try to get you to chase one down. And he did a great job, and that's not taking anything away from Maldonado. But we didn't help ourselves here. When you have to go to your knee to swing at one, it's too low. And then uh, – Forsyth pops up to first base. So, you know, the, the bottom third of the order had been kind of rally starters for us early in the ballgame. They weren't in the eighth. Uh, we bring in Parker Stinnett, and, and I don't want to just glaze over this because I think this is a young man that's kind of growing up before our eyes here. Had some challenges against Ole Miss, but that's the hometown team for him. So I thought he came back and played pretty well. So Stinnett comes in and, uh, we you know, we get a case swinging, we get a fly out, and then Gonzalez gets an infield hit. Could have easily been called an error there. And then uh, same thing, Bradfield rolls the ground ball to short. You know, again, we go at him, we challenge him here, and he, he gets a routine ground ball to short and we whiff on it. And then Gonzalez goes to third, and then you know, Tepper comes in for, for Cam Tuller and uh, – you know, it's just it's crazy to think about how this thing goes with us sometimes. You know, it's like we we kind of dance with the devil a little bit there and it doesn't pay for it, but it comes back at later times. It's just like at some point the baseball gods are going to get you. And I, I kind of messed it up. Parker Stinnett pitched the seventh. Pitched the seventh. So, Kim Tuller, I think the guy's going to be a dude for us too. It's just a matter of kind of getting him going. So, top of nine, we go with a whimper fly out, line out, and a strikeout looking on three pitches, and, and the series is over. So I framed this up pretty well context-wise, and we're going to come back a little bit later in the show. This is going to be a little bit of an extended show. Um, so Mississippi State goes and gets one, 
And that's what's so frustrating about Sunday is, you know, you win that one, all of a sudden you're right there with Arkansas. You're even with Vanderbilt in standings rather than being two games behind them. So now we need some help to catch them. Uh, so chances of winning an SEC championship still remain, but we've made them more difficult on ourselves. We avoided getting swept. But you know what? If we're a true national championship bona fide contender, we shouldn't get swept. We've already been swept once. We couldn't afford to get be swept by the number one and number two teams. So we go out and get one. Absolutely should have got a second one. All right, today's top ten list brought to you by johnnypacker.com. If you're looking for sunglasses, and you darn well should be, the sun is out, and uh, it is not your friend to your eyes while driving. How many times have we had to go out there and drive into the rising or setting sun, didn't have our sunglasses, and had to depend on our sun visor or our hand to kind of shield our eyes? Well, remove that from your, your contemplations and to go ahead and get some new sunglasses. Go to johnnypacker.com. All the frames named after Mississippi towns. These are Mississippi folks doing Mississippi things for Mississippi folks and Mississippi State folks around the country. That's right. JohnnyPacker.com. And a cool thing about it is a portion of every purchase goes to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. John C. himself is a guy that has battled cystic fibrosis all of his life, so he understands how important the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation is. So chances are you're going to go buy sunglasses somewhere. So why not, why not spend your money with a Mississippi State Bulldog it is going to donate a portion of your money to help people that are afflicted with cystic fibrosis. All right, so today is our final installment of the history of rock. And uh, there were, I, I did some thinking about this. There were a couple bands in the late 90s that I thought were outstanding that I did not mention on the last show. So we're going to go late 90s, kind of up to date on some of the bands that have changed rock. And, and to be honest with you, there was not a lot of innovation in the 2000s. There were some really bad bands in the 2000s. And I, know I hurt some of your feelings when I name them, so I'm not going to do it today because I want us to all be happy. But there, were, there was not, it was a boring time in music. So for those of you that were like in high school and college in the early 2000s, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I really am. I'm sorry. All right, so I want to go back and uh, we'll work our way through and we'll be, we'll be quick because I want to go over some of the baseball stuff. Uh, number 10 on the list, and I don't know how I forgot this, Nine Inch Nails. You want to talk about a guy that, you know, Trent Reznor, that changed everything. It's like a modern-day composer. He ushered in industrial music and really changed everything. I remember having the Pretty Hate Machine album on cassette. Somebody gifted it to me. It blew my mind. So the song we're going to go with Nine Inch Nails is Wish. Wish off the Broken album. Number nine, another band that uh, I, I should have already mentioned, it's Rage Against a Machine. You want to talk about some people that uh, kind of ushered in new metal and uh, really changed the game. It's Rage and Tom Morello, an absolute virtuoso on the guitar. Nobody's ever made that thing sound like him. So our, our Rage Against a Machine song is off the self-titled album. It's Know Your Enemy. Number eight, one of my favorite vocalists of all time. It's Amy Lee from Evanescence. I love that first Evanescence album, Fallen. Uh, Evanescence has not been the same since Ben Moody left the band. You may not know this, despite the fact that Evanescence's Amy Lee looks like a Victorian princess. Uh, she's from Arkansas, man. She is. She doesn't look like it or act like it. She is a beautiful woman with an incredible voice and an incredible songwriter. But Ben Moody was kind of the driving force behind the band. It hadn't been the same ever since. She released a new album last year with Evanescence. It was pretty good, but they've never been able to recapture the magic. Could have gone with a lot of different songs here. 
I'm going back to that Fallen album, and I'm going to the one that I think cranks the best, and it's Everybody's Fool off Evanescence's debut album. Number seven, a band that kind of ushered in emo rock. There were a lot of people that were kind of pretenders to the throne, but the best group was My Chemical Romance, who has reunited, thank goodness. There were a lot of great songs from My Chemical Romance. I think they're a really cool band. I think they're probably underappreciated by many in the hard rock category because they don't see them as uh, as perhaps true rock. I do. And uh, I could have gone a lot of different ways here, but uh, I went with one of the deeper cuts, and maybe you don't know it as well, but I think once you hear this song, you're going to love it. It's uh, Famous Last Words by My Chemical Romance. Number six, a band that really kind of changed a lot of things because they made they made some thrash elements part of their regular rock stuff and they used to be m shadows used to be a screamer and now he became a singer after having some vocal problems on the city of evil album all of a sudden it was a game changer for them because they were just kind of an average screaming band and they became mega superstars became a real headliner in the rock genre because m shadows taught himself to sing so in uh, honor of that, we're going to go back to the uh, City of Evil album, and I'm going to go with Bat Country as our Event Sevenfold song. Number five, a band that I was kind of late to the party on because I really thought they were just kind of ripping off Kiss, and um, I didn't think a lot of the early music had a lot of substance to it. I thought it was a bunch of racket. But it took some time, but I became a Corey Taylor and a Slipknot fan and then after I kind of fully appreciated Corey Taylor's message, I was able to go back and kind of enjoy some of that earlier catalog that I'd kind of dismissed earlier. I could go with a number of songs here, and I know some of you are going to be surprised with this. I'm going with one of the more recent Slipknot songs. It is one of the best percussionist songs in recent memory, and it is the song Nero Forte. I absolutely love that track. Number four, a band that brought a lot of mystery back to rock music. And a lot of it was because they concealed their identity for many, many years. Kind of taking a little bit of a page out of the Kiss book there. But the the music was uh, very, 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 very different from what is being played on the radio. Kind of went back to some of the occult and macabre type themes. And I've seen this band live and they can absolutely pull it off live. Absolutely incredible. It's the band Ghost. And so... I could have gone with a handful of songs here that some of you guys are familiar with. I just went with a tried and true one here. Let's go square hammer. Number three, and if you guys know me, I have some people that say, you know, Steve, we don't talk enough about women singers on the show, and uh, you're wrong. I, number one, I love women. I, I absolutely do. I love all of them, some more than others, but I love them all. And uh, I love women rock singers I, I absolutely love this new generation of women rock singers and, and we've done the list on the show a few times but my favorite contemporary women's rock singer is lizzie hale from hailstorm seen her perform a handful of times i've met her and she is so lovely and down to earth you would not believe it she is just a girl next door at her heart um, but uh, a bit of a wild child too, but uh, she has not let superstardom go to her head. I absolutely love her demeanor. But I could have gone with a bunch of songs here. She's got a ton of hits, but I went with one that was considered uh, by Sirius Octane as the number one rock song here a few years ago of the year. 
And it's a song, Love Bites, and so do I. Love Bites. Number two, one of my favorite bands that we don't talk about a lot on the show. And this is a band that I have seen really innovate and kind of change their own sound over the course of the last several years. Their quarantine album that has come out here in the last uh, couple months is outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. But it's a band from across the pond a band called Bring Me the Horizon, and there are probably 25 songs I could have picked to go with here. I chose to go with one that uh, is very special to me, and it's a song off of the album That's the Spirit. It is True Friends, True Friends from Bring Me the Horizon. But number one, and uh, again, these are not necessarily in order of importance. They're more really chronological. A band that I think is probably the most important rock band to come out here in the last couple of years. I have seen them live multiple times. I've met the lead singer. I've met the guitar player. There is uh, There are a lot of people out there that write some clever rhymes. There are not a lot of people that write with the same conviction that Johnny from Nothing More does. Nothing More is one of those bands that kind of came out of nowhere and absolutely attacked rock music. And that's, and that's what rock music needs. Rock music needs some life, and nothing more is a band that I believe is, is really going to take them there and going to be the next big headliner in rock. Nothing more. And I could have gone with a bunch of different songs here. Uh, the first album, uh, The Few Not Fleeting, is pretty good. The second album is phenomenal. The third album, Stories We Tell Ourselves, uh, even better. I love every song on every album, and I think you will too. And this is real rock too. There's, there's nothing industrial about this. There's there's a couple songs that have like a bass line to it, but this is a rock band. And uh, Johnny is so crazy. He walks out barefooted with no shirt on, just wearing a pair of Levi's, and then screams at you for two and a half hours. And uh, when I say scream, I don't mean you know this you know crazy demonic type scream. I mean this is a guy that emotes every word he sings. He puts on a great show every single night. But I decided to go with the song Jenny from Nothing More. Jenny, a song about addiction, about his true story about his sister, that uh, his mother was dying of cancer and she fought it and fought it and fought it and tried to stay uh, alive for one more year to make sure that her daughter got clean. It's a a gut-wrenching song, and you can probably check the video out. I think you'll dig it. Nothing More, Jenny. That's the top 10 list. I hope you guys have enjoyed our four-show foray into the history of rock innovation. There are some of you that have reached out to me and say, Steve, you didn't do this, didn't do that. Listen, it wasn't my list of favorite rock bands. You know, I, I didn't do Rat either. And, then, and there are some other bands, too, that uh, I think get way too much credit for their meager contributions to rock music, and so I didn't do them. I, I mean, the fact that I can, you know, humble myself to put Nirvana on the list because I'm not a fool, even though I don't like Nirvana's tunes, I get it, but... Uh, we may disagree, but I'll tell you, there's been a tremendous amount of reaction to this, and so I want to thank the Long family for reaching out and kind of giving me this opportunity to talk about this. I hope I did the list justice. We'll come back on uh, Tuesday. You guys have been sending a lot of suggestions, but please send more. Find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. So, you know, an interesting week in the SEC. It always is this time of year. Every game is huge. So let's kind of run down what happened around the league. You know, Mississippi State loses the series to Vanderbilt. Uh, kind of looking back, let's go back to uh, the two Thursday series. Arkansas takes two out of three from South Carolina. Uh, we needed South Carolina to at least take a game. We'd love for them to have won a series, but uh, we ended up losing a game in the standings to Arkansas because we lost our series. But 
Arkansas has some dangerous series coming up. There is room for us to make up that ground, assuming we get some help, and we should get a little help. I still believe Arkansas is the best team in the Southeastern Conference. We just don't need them to sweep anybody. Speaking of sweeping, LSU nearly got the sweep from Ole Miss and probably should have. Paul Maneri probably kicking himself today uh, for sticking with Coleman as long as he did. And give Ole Miss some credit, eight runs in the eighth inning there uh, to kind of get caught up and then walk it off there in the ninth. And they were dead on the mat. But here's the deal, too. As great as it felt to come back and win that game, uh, they have lost four series in a row, and they have certainly hurt their chances of hosting a regional, and there are more series left to lose. Rebels still have South Carolina, Texas A&M, Vanderbilt, and Georgia to go on the schedule, probably lose three of those four series. Uh, one would expect at least two of them, and that's really going to hurt them uh, in the final tally. So looking at the rest, of, the rest of the weekend, Kentucky takes two out of three from Alabama. Pretty good series win for uh, Nick Mangione. Got that team pr- playing pretty well. Tennessee takes two out of three from A&M. Uh, down in College Station, they went 20-7 to on Sunday. Really just kind of blew open the A&M bullpen. Florida takes two of three for Auburn, but all three of those games, very, very close and competitive. Georgia takes two out of three from Missouri. Missouri wins on Friday night. Georgia has to balance back and win those other two. Uh, so that's the weekend for you, and just kind of looking at the standings here too because I think it's important to kind of take an inventory of where we are. It's easy to lose sight of all that stuff. You know, it's it's one of those things where – you know, we get so caught up in what we've got going on and we forget the fact that we're still in the race here. Vanderbilt now 13-5 and in the league, Tennessee 12-6. and Arkansas also 13-5, Mississippi State right there 11-7. and Two games out of first place. It gets kind of con- convoluted there, though. Florida, South Carolina right there with us at 11-7. and uh, Behind them, Ole Miss 10-8. and but I'm not concerned about Ole Miss. I really think Ole Miss is going to take care of themselves. Behind them, the only other teams that would have won a record, you know, around the uh, the league or, uh, you know, what we just talked about. But uh, Georgia and Kentucky, 9-9, nine and, nine, and uh, really good results so far for Kentucky and Nick Mangione. Alabama at 8-10, and 10, an improving team, but still a team that's missing some components. We'll see how things progress with them. LSU now 6-12 and 12 after winning a series at Ole Miss. Uh, Missouri and A&M now 5-13 and 13 apiece, and then Auburn 3-15. and 15. Of course, you know, A&M comes to Starkville this weekend. We really need the sweep there. We get a sweep there, we got a chance to pick up a game uh, in the standings heading into the, uh, you know, the final three. I really think we have a much better chance than a lot of people are giving us credit for. But that's your look around the league, brought to you by the folks at Campus Bookmark. Stan and Mammoth, Kathy Brown, the whole crew there will treat you like family because in their minds you are family. And you should treat them like family when you go. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Absolutely incomplete. New merchandise arriving daily there. Be sure to check the websites and all social forms, all forms of social media uh, to kind of stay abreast of what they got going on. One more thing before we move on to recruiting. I wanted to kind of look at the, uh, the schedule coming up for this weekend, kind of where we have a, a rooting interest. You know, it, it, we get so caught up in that. We don't have a midweek game this week which makes for a long week, you know, it really does. I, I really like the schedule 
I know the guys are probably eager to have a uh, a weekend off, a week off. But here is your your schedule for this weekend. Vanderbilt headed to Gainesville, Florida. So you'd like to think Florida could get a game. And if Jack Leiter's on a pitching slump and Florida can swing the bats on Sunday, Florida could take that series. And all of a sudden, they take a series and we get a sweep, we're tied with them. Kentucky is at Tennessee. The way Nick and those guys are playing, you know, Nick could take a game from Tennessee. You know, we're a game behind Tennessee in the standings as well. It's difficult to go to Knoxville and play. You know, it's a, it's a different deal up there, especially when the sun goes down. They like playing those games at night because the ball doesn't carry. Arkansas is at LSU that has played much better. Labus is outstanding for them in game two. And Marceau didn't get a victory this week. But, uh, listen, LSU at home has a chance to make this thing interesting. I'm not ready to call it just yet. But if you call me on Sunday and say, Steve, you're not going to believe this, LSU has won a series at Arkansas, I won't be surprised. I'm not saying that I expect that to happen, but I won't be surprised. I do expect LSU to take a game from them. I think that's probably a given. And I think LSU right now understands what they're playing for, and I think they're really fired up after the weekend. Uh, Missouri is at Alabama. Probably see a split there. Uh, but that'll be an interesting one, too. State, of course, played both of those teams uh, to close out the month of May. Auburn is at Georgia. Really big series there for Butch Thompson and his crew. They're, they're out of the field at Hoover. Georgia always has great pitching, so we'll see You know how kind of that progresses. You've got to like Georgia's chances there. South Carolina, of course, at Ole Miss. Ole Miss, I guess they've already updated the rankings. Ole Miss shows at number 12 right now in the rankings. Uh, South Carolina, number 11. And then Texas A&M at Mississippi State. So we have a chance to kind of get some things rolling here. And, uh, there, again, I think when you look at these series, there's nobody you look at and say, well, that's a definite sweep unless it's A&M at Mississippi State. I don't think that Auburn uh, is uh, a team that's going to get swept at Georgia. I could be surprised. But Georgia sweeping doesn't really affect us. We're just kind of looking at the teams ahead of us. So that, that's your look around the league. Now, let's get in some recruiting brought to you by our friend Brooks Bryan at Portico. You guys know Brooks. You've been around a few 24 hours. Everybody knows Brooks. And if you don't know Brooks, I can promise you, if you've been to a Mississippi State sporting event, you've seen Brooks. Brooks is a great friend. Brooks is a guy that is a friend to our community here in Starville. He is invested in the Starville community. Does a great job kind of helping us kind of stay abreast of what's going on. But also, too, Brooks is part of this development group that has put together this great new residential complex, Portico. If you're looking to make your move to Starville, and you probably should, if you're one of these kind of people, too, that uh, say, you know, Steve, I want an investment property. I kind of want a home away from home up there then that works too. Portico is easy to find. When you come off of 82 and you get on 12 like going towards campus, you take the very first right. That takes you to Portico. You cross Old West Point Road, it's right there for you. It's easy to find, 1.1 miles away from campus. It's been your dream to come back to Starvore, or maybe your dream to move here for the first time. This is your best time to do it. Now, the first phase is nearly complete. I mean, just about every house in the first phase has been spoken for. So if you want one, you need to call today. But if you're looking to kind of make a move here in the next, uh, you know, couple months, you've got a little time, but it's time to kind of get your ducks in a row. Don't wait. Uh, You need more information, you should reach out to Brooks because he's going to tell you they got houses that will fit your size family, whether you have a growing family or you're looking to have a family reunion. Houses inside some 1,300, 2,000 square feet, two-bedroom, two-bath, 
up to four bed, four bath. They got a walking trail, up a vig, and all the amenities, everything you need. Brooks is the man with the information, and he's got some great Mississippi State baseball stories he's happy to share with you. You may not even have to ask him. He's just one of those kind of people that's so happy to talk. Uh, Brooks is my friend. He'll be your friend, too. It's 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. All right, Mississippi State picked up a football commitment over the weekend. We talked last week. I said things might slow down a little bit. Uh, Janoris Hobson's a guy that's been a Mississippi State lean for a while. There was some discussion. They might want to see him on camp, and you know maybe he wanted to get out and go see some stuff and go see some schools and work out for some coaches. He likes to go ahead and get this thing done. Uh, Janoris Hobson out of Horn Lake, and Mississippi State has kind of been a leader throughout his uh, recruitment. When I had a chance to go see him play seven-on-seven, seven, to me there was no doubt that he was a take. He reminds me of a faster version of Jamion Lewis. I think that's the skill set. Uh, might even be a little bit smoother. Of course, Jamion played quarterback in high school, so uh, Janoris has been at his natural position for a while. Uh, really nice player, a guy that uh, I think is going to help us in many respects. We need to kind of restock that inside receiver room anyway. He's a good step in that direction. Could be a two- to three-wide receiver class. Not going to be a big group of wide receivers. So the fact that Mississippi State takes this guy now says that they think a lot of him. Let's run down the offer sheet for you here real quick. I know many of you guys are just kind of getting familiar with him. Offers from, oh, I guess a handful of schools here. Florida State, Marshall, Memphis, uh, Tennessee, and a few others. A lot of other schools have kind of been kicking the tires with him. Uh, He is a 5'10-ish, 175-pound receiver. Uh, has done a great job in the seven-on-sevens that I have seen him play. He is a guy that is constantly open, always catches the football. Very natural in his gait about you know catching the football and getting that field. You know, a lot of guys, it's all they can do to catch it and tuck it away. And so there's not a lot of run after the catch. That's not the case uh, with Janoris Hobson. I really like him. He's one of the best receivers in the state of Mississippi. Uh, I think I have him ranked second in the state behind Larry Sanders. I really do like his game. And they're completely different type players. I mean, I think Larry's a guy that kind of gets outside the numbers, can make some big plays. I think Janoris is a guy that uses the middle of the field and uh, probably lines up against a nickel more times than not. I think you're going to like him. Go watch his huddle video today. I think you'll be impressed with him. He is a guy that uh, can work as a punt returner, kick returner, or as a slot receiver. And uh, a guy that I expect to be especially productive in this offense. So, We'll have full coverage over on jeanspage.com a little bit later today. After I get some sleep, I'll get up and I've got a few things to write for you guys, including the uh, SEC weekend review. Like I said, when I got back, I just needed some time to kind of get settled, even though that I had you know, driven and had a few hours to think about that. I had some other things I wanted up my mind, too. It's a busy life a lot of times, you know, but uh, I wanted to sit down and record this show for you guys tonight so you'd have it first thing in the morning. But let's not give up on our team. It's a long season. And I remember after the Arkansas series, all hope was lost. And then we bounced back and we, you know, win three series in a row. And then all of a sudden we're right back in the, the, the mix again to be, you know, a top eight national seed. And I still believe we'll get there. It's because of the fact that we're going to stack up wins in the month of May. Just hang in here with us. We're going to be fine. If you're looking for Stark Villains gear, and you darn well should be, there has been a lot of Stark villains roaming Dirty Noble Field here as of late, wearing their gear. I thank you guys for that. Join the cool kids. Go to StarkVillains.com today. Order your shirts. You'll be glad you did. I get people telling me all the time the great quality shirts that they are. 
Thank the folks at Deep South Pout for that. And then if you're looking for signed copies of the books, go to alphadogsthebook.com. You can get signed and personalized copies of Flim Flam, Stark Villains, and Alpha Dogs. And, of course, the new book, Blooms of Oleander, coming out late spring. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.